Welcome to Build with Rob. I am Rob Deerdick, CEO and founder of The Deerdick Machine, a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea. The science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible, universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my do-or-dire partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today, we're catching up with Bill Glazer, the CEO of Outstanding Foods. Outstanding Foods is an incredible plant-based snack food company that recently closed a $10 million round valued at $100 million. Bill's experience makes him the ultimate do-or-die founder and CEO, but it was his unbelievable pivot from the pigless bacon chip to the pigless pork rind after he ran into major co-packing issues that altered the future of the company in the best way possible. Seeing how vital it was to have a backup product strategy changed the way that I build companies forever. This experience led to a new aspect of the machine method that I call the pre-pivot strategy, which is deciding before you launch where you'll pivot your product line in case your hero product doesn't work. Billy G, welcome to Build with Rob. How you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Ah, man, as you always are with the puns, man. I forgot that that even in the emails, whenever I get an email it's and it's an introduction, it's like, let's have an outstanding meeting. Let's have an outstanding day. Two outstanding characters coming together. Look, let me describe you to the world. I call you a master doer dyer with a plant-based mindset and the vision to see it all, right? And so, you know, for the Deer Deck Machine, and me specifically, it was like, how do we define like the type of mindset and people we want to build businesses with, right? And that's where do or die came from in the first place. And it's, you know, the grit, determination, fortitude, ambition, relentless work ethic, and unwavering self-belief to turn your vision into a reality, right? And, and to me, that... um is a through line for everybody, right? It's, it's why we've never had a, a loss of any of our companies, right? Where it's like, it is just this relentlessness with everybody inside there. But there's something different with Billy G, okay? And Billy G is the archetype of what I hope to find now in every single CEO. And so I'm going to lay out this archetype for you. And then I want you to give me your background on how you became this, right? So, you know, I've learned a lot since we've been in business together. And, and ultimately, one of the, the big things that I learned is this idea that business is made up of these seven core capabilities, brand, product, owned media, marketing, sales, operations, and finance. Each play an intricate part in the business being successful, but it is very rare that a CEO will literally have capabilities in all of them. Normally you got to hire somebody to do something, but Billy G, 
Billy G, man. Billy G is, is going to like push you on brand. He's going to drive product innovation. He's going to be all up in the, the comments of the social media and how it's coming off. He's going to be part of the entire marketing campaign. He is certainly going to be on the forefront of sales. He's going to make sure this whole thing is operating together. And you better believe he knows every dime in this company completely. You, my friend, are the perfect CEO. Tell me your background on how you learned all aspects of business. Well, I mean, can I just take this mic and drop it right in front of you? I mean, <laughs> I, that, that intro, I don't know if I can live up to that intro, but I appreciate it. And it's really been amazing to be partners with you because you complement me in so many ways. And we are able to have creative riffs about not just things that are about branding or imagery or names, but about the business and about like making strategic decisions. So I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm like honored to be part of the Deer Deck machine and to be with you sitting here across the table at a safe enough distance where my spit molecules are not <laughs> flying into your face. If you got the COVID, I'm catching <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Well, same right back at you. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I was an, I was that entrepreneurial kid. I, at four years old was selling greeting cards and vegetable seeds door to door because I wanted to buy the magic kit that was in the back of the magazine. Yep. And surprisingly, my parents let me walk the neighborhood at four years old, knocking on people's doors. Were you generating sales back then? I was generating sales. I, did you drive the sales straight to the magic kit? I got the magic kit. Man, I got look, the magic I don't want to look. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too crazy. But the magic kit is essentially the concept of before you start win. What is the plan to get to the magic kit? The magic kit is almost like the exit of a, a business or going public. You know, so you at four years old, you built the foundation of it, which is super fascinating. Yeah, and I, I you know, I am fortunate that. I had, I guess, the looseness to allow me to even do that. I, my, my daughter, who's now almost eight, when she was four or five years old, I'm like, there is no way I would let her go door to door yeah. selling anything, yeah. let alone by herself. But I, I had a lemonade stand. I had the paper route. My father was in advertising. And so he would often come home with samples from the companies he was advertising for. I would take those samples and I would go into school and I would sell them. And so I always had that kind of thing where one, I was motivated for the outcome, whether it was the magic kid or even just like, let me see if I could sell this thing. Yeah. And two, it was something that w I think was partly innate. And when I came out of college though, I suppressed that part of my background. I came out of college with the parental expectations that get a good job and I got a good job in investment banking. And then- But, but again, for clarity, you went to business school. Is it, you essentially wanted to eventually be in business and that's what led you to, to end up in investment banking? Yeah. Well, I was a finance major economics minor. So I had, I also had a, a, a connection with numbers and, and math came easy to me. And so I, when I was younger, I thought about being an architect because I was creative. I, I used to draw and I had the math. There it is, man. There it is. You see it bubbling up yes. because it's like, it really is. The creative side is the, is really hard for people that love numbers. I had to learn to love numbers because I was so on the creative side, you know, but it, it makes total sense because you come with that finance and investment banking background, but a desire to be creative and being creative, I think is the ultimate combination to be able to, to see a business multidimensionally in order to see all of those parts, you know? Yeah. I think the creativity in business and whether you're someone that is artistic or has a sense of visual, 
the creative is figuring out solving problems. And that's, yeah. that's where, how I've channeled my creativity from a kid that was really good at drawing into using that creativity in thinking about brands, but also solving problems. They're, yeah. they're, it, when you're an entrepreneur, challenges should be expected and shouldn't be things that overcome you or that you get overwhelmed by, but they should be things that you embrace because those are often leading you to your next success. But I, but I think what you said there is one of the most underestimated aspects of being a CEO of a, of a startup is it's not this binary, oh, we got a problem. Here's the solution for the problem. You're, you're micro failing and dealing with like failures before they even happen. You're like trying to prevent failures by making creative decisions and strategy because you can see them off in the distance, right? There's this just insane uh, sort of shaping process that you're constantly undergoing. And, and I think that that even applies all the way down to the financial side. You're still like, like uh, building this business in a creative way in the things that seemingly are not creative, right? If you're going to end up doing it well. Yes. And that's, you know, when you set out on a path, you have an idea from that idea stage to what you're actually doing when you're in the market selling a product in almost every case is going to be completely different than what you anticipated. And so it's not this straight up journey. Uh, we all, even, even seasoned entrepreneurs, we always are optimistic and we are thinking we're going to go straight up. Right. And, but we're also like have the sensibility that when things come into our path, we have to be open to them. And so there, to me, one of the, the greatest skills of an entrepreneur is being persistent and figuring out how to overcome that obstacle, but also being open-minded at the same time, because you could be persistent and have tunnel vision and you yeah. miss out on the opportunities that come into your path or how to solve a problem in a different way. Yeah. And look, I think as I've evolved, right, because I get to evolve through multiple companies, right? And it, because I see so many different things happening and, and I used to be so like, like, here's the plan. This is the product. Here's the vision. Like, get it done. Like, and then like doing everything to stay off of it. And, and really, I want, um, you know, that to be this sort of key message of, of this show today is ultimately when we get into it later on, it's just this idea of keeping that open mindedness, even when you have a great innovative product, that there still might be a, a nice little move to the left, you know, a micro pivot, a little twist that really changes your business completely. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's go down memory lane back to when we met for the first time. Yeah. Right? So we were introduced to each other through Lewis House, you know, the extraordinary, influential, a man of greatness. Mr. Greatness. Uh, Mr. Great Man. That's what he should, that's what he should change his IG handle to. Uh, but he introduced us, you know, he understood like, hey, this is what you're up to as far as businesses. I know Billy G. Like, I think this is at the early enough stage for you to take a look at. If I could just be a, a bit descriptive, it was a beautiful day in Beverly Hills and atop a, a wonderful penthouse. And and a man strolled in, a 25-year vegan man with another 25-year vegan man. But this CEO type was ripped. I mean, he was filled with plant-based beef, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just had the power and presence of a CEO. And he was with seemingly what I would consider an archetypal chef. He just looked like a chef. 
And you guys presented beyond just, hey, here's the product of this pigless bacon chip that we've come up with. It was like, here's the chef. Here's this entire, try this delight. I don't know. I can't even remember how many things. It was like the vegan burger with bacon chips on it. It was like, there were so many different layers to the experience, which is still, still to this day, the most comprehensive a mind-blowing way to to be presented a product, right? And now I have such a deeper appreciation for the importance of really having a great product before you decide to 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 launch out to build a great brand. But inside these standard issue Tupperware, you popped open this thing with these little brown chips and just just the air smelled with delight. And man, I even to this day, the very first time that I tasted the pigless bacon chip, it was a pure like, wow, like this is remarkable, right? And at that point, instantly, you know, you're like, you know, it's fresh soul, you know, and I was immediately like, why fresh soul? Like, what are we doing over here? Like everything in this space is like that. You just invented an entirely new category of chips this, this, I don't know what this is. This is like meat chips, you know, <laughs> like re- really, you know, it really pushed me back. And what, what led to the development of the initial pigless bacon chip? So, and if I can, when you and I met talking about being open-minded, I was about to close our financing. We were overcommitted. We were just haggling on some terms with a lead investor, right? And Lewis, when he introduced us, uh, said, are you still taking our money? And I said, well, we're essentially committed, but be happy to, intru- uh, happy to meet him. And I didn't know much about you. I, I had known you had MTV shows. Mm-hmm. And I assume that someone who is an MTV talent, you know, is probably a $25,000 investor. So I figured, yeah. okay, let, I'll meet him. <laughs> but hey, that's accurate. You know? <laughs> in most cases, yeah. not in yours. And so what I found in meeting you and the exchange that we had and the creativity and even how the original company name, we eventually changed it and why we changed it through the riffing and creative exchange that you and I had, that I cut out other investors. There was one investor that was going to do a half a million and they were haggling on the terms. After you had made the commitment, I went back to them and I said, we could only give you 50 grand and it's got to be on our terms. And they said, yes. And we pushed out. Oh, they every- did. They did. Yes, they did. Oh, it's so funny. And we pushed, I pushed out everyone else because I felt like you were a true partner, not just a check writer, but a true partner that can help with the sensibility of how our brand can be developed and positioned. Oh yeah. I mean, that was, it was, and of course that's really much more what I'm in it for, right? Where it's like, if I can't, you know, if me and you had that same creative riff and you were like, no, fresh soul, that's what my grandmother like always told me I had when I was little and that's what it's going to be. Fresh soul, pigless bacon, you know? And, but we just like, you immediately connected with it in concept. And, And for me, you know, it it was a courting process, right? Of like kind of talking about it. And then when I looked at the financials for the first time, I hadn't fully understood that you had a investment banking background. And I, when I looked at the financials for the first time, I realized like, man, he understands what he's really trying to create here, which uh, up to that point is rare for me because I, I tend to gravitate towards the product and brand marketing minds, as opposed to people that have their, their heads wrapped around how it's the financially viable business, right? I was just beginning to learn all that in 2016, but we began our dance. We began our dance and our dance started 
with my first suggestion was like, Vegilante, <laughs> make this thing aggressive. Like, let's go with Vegilante, you know, like, and not, not what it is, but just, just trying to push it in that direction. And, and if you remember, we went, we went pretty deep too on, is it craft, right? If you have all these different product verticals and you already have the vision for creating a platform. And again, I think to any, anyone creating a brand and a concept, if you lead out with a vision that is a platform rather than a product, you just are setting yourself up with so much more flexibility in finding the right product that works for you as opposed to like anchoring everything into a single idea, product and brand and everything. Because then you're, you're, you have such limited flexibility of ever making a turn, right? So we were talking, is it Honest Co., right? I think we, we landed on better than right? Better than bacon. We kind of, okay, then it can be better than chicken, better than, but then that, that was actually taken, right? So, and that was the more safe, that was like the honest co version because, you know, what I kept, you know, hammering is it still taste over everything, right? Like the tip of the spears, taste, then innovation type of thing. And I remember it to this day now, okay? I'm sitting in my Mulholland Estates, Beverly Hills home next to the bar. Okay, beautiful teak redwoods everywhere. I'm on a, a a nice Sony headset, and and Billy G says, "I think I got it." And I said, "Oh, wow, I, I can't wait to hear. Like, what do you got? What do you think of Pig Out?" And I immediately, like, a ripple down my soul was like, "Way too much. Way, way, way too much. What?" And before I get in how it evolved, when did you connect with Pig Out and know? Because this is where that creative side comes back, right? It's like, I'm pushing you, we're riffing. But at the end of the day, this is still you, your vision, your company, your moment, your sensibility. How does Billy G land on Pig Out? So first to your point about where the product came from, right? So what I, Dave is a true smoke coming out of the ears genius. Yep. He led product development at Beyond Meat. He co-founded another company that's a billion dollar plant-based company, and he could develop products in every category. So what we first did was we looked at where we felt we had the biggest opportunity. At the time, there was Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods doing burgers, some good companies doing plant-based cheeses. So I felt that bacon represented the best opportunity. But at that time also, and, and still now, even though there's a shifting paradigm, most plant-based meats are still being sold in the plant-based meat aisle. And we want to be a company that can make an impact. We want to make it easy for anyone to eat more plant-based and healthy foods. And to do that, we have to go where they shop. We can't expect that they're going to change their behavior and go where our products are sold. So Dave was developing a bacon strip. And then I asked him, can you turn this into a chip? And that's what the origins of the first product, the pig out pigless bacon chip were. Yep. And where we wanted to go where people already shopped, everyone in the mainstream shops in the snack. So you trying to tell me that you were running the strips first and it was like, how do we make it a snack? Is that's the evolution yes. of it, man? Another thing that I really believe that this is like your magnum opus, all your experience and life experience, both in business and life led to like this being like the ultimate business for you to create. And this is that nuance of having that deeper experience of, of doing so many other different types of ventures to then begin to start assessing it from this new lens to essentially invent an entirely new product category. You know, it's, it's remarkable. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, there's the cliche about pursuing things you're passionate about. And I've never been as passionate as I am about this business. I literally read every single comment in our ads on Facebook and Instagram to understand how people were reacting to our products, how they were reacting to our brand, how we were positioning and making adjustments by listening to that feedback. And I get great gratification when we're having people that are saying, I used to eat pork rinds and I never liked the idea, or I wanted to eat something healthy. And there was never anything that can satisfy me. Your product is amazing. I'm never eating those again. And so it's very gratifying to be able to make that difference. And so I'm really passionate about that and which is what drives me. But okay, okay look, and, and again, for me, like that authentic, it's an authenticity anchor for like the ultimate person to build a business with, right? So forget about even the skill set that I had to ultimately, I had to grow into knowing how how talented you actually were, right? I, I got a little bit lucky, got a little bit lucky. Uh, but, but let me take us back to Pig Out, okay? And when you hit me with Pig Out, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 I, I don't know. And and that whole idea of we were trying, is it craft? Is it like, how do you, is it the parent company, what it is? And then, then pushing it out to outstanding now and letting outstanding foods where it is like, has nothing to do with plant-based. This is literally like the vision is great tasting, innovative snacks that happen to be plant-based is how you will convert people to a plant-based diet. And, you know, Thus it's born and it's like the purest, realest thing. Now, of course, we went on to, you know, you know, I'm pushing you. We got to make a character. We got to make like a streetwear pig, you know, which evolved into Bay. You know, I think it was real. Even the initial designs are real cursive And, you know, and I, I sent you the pig out, pig emoji with the out symbol. And like when we were getting ready to do a branding meeting, like this is it. You should be able to like emoji this, right? Like we really evolved it. But, but going back to early consumer feedback, me and you together, you drove it. I went along for it. I was influenced. You came up with the concept of the idea of the pigless bacon chip and a pig saying, finally, bacon I can eat, right? So we thought it was brilliant. You know, even when I tell people to this day, they're like, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And like to us, it's so funny, right? Like finally, and it's based in, of course, in the backdrop of pigs eat mushrooms, right? And so no big deal. As we're going to market, we do a great video. Let's, let's start building some buzz and did a social media video of a pig, a sweet pig. I can't remember the pig's name, eating the chips and the blowback was totally unexpected on my behalf, right? And it ended up being like, which is really funny to me, of like, well, how would it feel to you? What do you want to make human chips next? Would you eat a human chip? I was like, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's really dark. Like Lauren 0741, that's really dark. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tell me your thought as we went through that sort of early crisis of like, hey, is that too aggressive? Do you regret that? Or do you think I was being too paranoid of making, pivoting off of that? No, I think part of, how we even designed the brand was first understanding the, the consumer behavior and habits, and then also understanding who our audience was, right? So it, it's evolved in a meaningful way in the last few years where plant-based has become mainstream. And we're not trying to convert people. We're just trying to make it easy for people to eat more plant-based. But we got 
all types of research that millennials and Gen Z were the were the generations that were more more likely seeking out plant-based alternatives and better for you alternatives, right? So we wanted to make a brand that connected with them and having elements of humor, of playfulness, of edginess, yeah. of snarkiness. And so that was how we designed it. And yeah. so even that that line of finally <laughs> bacon I can eat was yeah, you know, yeah. but ah. I think I think I think you you know you you pulled the eleven and a half hour oh, you know I'm having second thoughts and man. because even after that video I said hey this kind of like we still we walked it back and then I got another comment about it and then it was like hey have we made have the packaging been screened yet and it was like literally like the last minute to clean that off and, and who's to say I feel good about it you know what I mean of just not wanting to walk that line of like just to where it becomes a thing then it's on every bag in hindsight I might have been overthinking it just a little bit but I always found it so funny that like we just got for me I never thought even twice about it not being super hilarious and over the top until someone just locked in on me of like, would you eat a human tasting chip? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, ah, no, the what? Who would do that? Yeah. yeah, I think, I think you know, you, you can't be afraid of upsetting some people when you're, when you're making branding decisions yep. and you can't try to cast the net that everyone is going to be lured in. You have to understand that people are going to, there, there's some things that you're going to either try to enroll them into what you mean by it, even if they had a different perception before that. In other cases where you're just not going to win the battle, but as long as you're true to your brand. Like we have a lot of people that are upset that we have a pig on the package because they associate it with meat. Yeah. And so, you know, the way we respond to that is by saying, well, our pig is happy he's on the outside of the package, not the inside. <laughs> but the reality is that- Oh, man, so good. It's, you know- Man, you look, bro, you are so good. You are like, even all the way down to customer service responses, man. But, wow. you know, that's, sometimes you have to swim upstream because there's been messaging that people have. And so the happy cow, right? The happy cow is not too happy that he's got, that she's got, you know, machines- sucking the milk out of her and, you know, having her babies ripped away from her, but they have proud created, vegan. Getting, getting dark, proud vegan. Right the, the, no, no preachy, but they, they, you know, some brands have created that image that when you have an animal on a package, that that's a meat or a dairy product. Yep. So we had to overcome that with some people, but we didn't want to hold back and, and just make a decision that, well, some people are going to be upset by that let's not even do it. So, yeah. you know, I think it's, it's, you have to be more calculated in trying to anticipate what are the things that are bigger landmines and what are the things that you can stand your ground and even in some cases help people understand to see it differently. Yeah, totally. So, so look, the most amazing part is you're coming to market with an absolutely innovative product, never been done. You got all the right branding. Everything's in the right place. Let's get to market. This is everybody who tastes it says it's incredible. It's completely new. Um, reinventing the category, creating a new snack category. Let's get to market. This thing's a year behind, right? Yeah. What happened and what did you learn in developing the product and ultimately going through the pain of trying to get the product to market? Well, I think. Any entrepreneur, whether you're a 22-year-old entrepreneur in your first business or whether you've had several like I had had, 
you're always going to learn new things in, in every venture. And in my case, I'd never had a food company, right? So I had to learn about the food industry and I had to learn about things like supply chains and co-mans and co-manufacturers and things like that. And, and, and just to explain to someone that doesn't, like if they were to want to develop the same product, they don't even contemplate that. Like most people wouldn't know what a co-man is, right? And explain just the importance of that co-man and finding the right one and even ultimately developing that and the supply chain. Like actually what is the supply chain as it related to this product? And then how did you seek out the right co-man in order to make this product? Yeah. So a co-man is a manufacturer that manufactures for you, right? So we found snack manufacturers and we picked one that we felt would be the best fit and, and was, was willing to work with us on a process that was unique because this product had a lot of complications and a lot of challenges to make it work. And so Chef Dave, my co-founder, had to figure out ways to reduce fat because mushrooms soak up too much oil when you fry them. We had to figure out where to get mushrooms. No one had ever made a mass-produced chip out of mushrooms. And so- and again, look, headwinds. Headwinds after headwinds. Now, most people that are going to go for a co-man, they're going to make something that that person makes. They're going to make their sort of version of it, maybe some little slight innovation, whatever it may be. And they're going to pick some sort of product that can be easily sourced. You're going double. Not only is the is the co-man got to learn to make your product and you've got to like evolve it because it's innovative, then you got to go find a mushroom supplier for a one-of-one -one project because there ain't nobody else making mushroom chips, you know. Yeah. Complex. Complex. And then as we got into it, we found more challenges and more challenges, more challenges. So while we're trying to figure these out, and I remember, you know, like, and I believe in full transparency, especially with your investment partners and, and consumers. And so I was telling you, like, here are the issues. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. And and we we kept navigating and changing and adapting. And then finally, we had a product that was in bags that we were producing, but it was still we had to modify equipment. We weren't using regular equipment that was off the shelf. We had to modify equipment. We had this unique supply chain. And up until that point, right, like you had no experience with co-manufacturers whatsoever. None. Right. So None. like you had to source it. Dave was like helping support it. But ultimately you had to even learn like and, and, and so how were you able to assess the quality of them as a, at, like, as a co-man were you, did you get references? Did you know by the time you chose them, did you believe that, Hey, this is the perfect fit? Was there, was it still problematic or were you just guessing? Well, one, they had a lot of customers that were recognizable. So we, you know, knew from some of the customers that they, they were working with and we had some references that checked out, but two, when you're a new brand, when you're trying to find a manufacturer, manufacturers get mom and pops calling them all day long with the, with what they think is the greatest idea in the world. And they end up spending a lot of time. And at the time we were that mom and pop with an idea. Yep. And so it was challenging to find one willing to even listen. And was it challenging also from the minimum order aspect, right? Where like you basically have to the smaller, less qualified co-man will allow you to order less, which becomes risky on quality and all that. Always trade-offs, yeah. right? You're always making trade-offs. And so we found one that was more entrepreneurial. They liked innovation. They liked to help companies innovate. And so we felt it was a good fit. And so when we created this unique process, just like a recipe, if you follow a recipe differently, it's going to get a different product. If you have a process 
and that process isn't adhered to, a different product comes out. So we launched this product. We had really strong marketing. It hit people really resonated with it. We had a lot of reaction videos, man on the street, mm. a lot of influencer. Hey, which we knew would be the most powerful. It's like, hey, let people let people actually taste it and react to it is the most important thing. You know, because it it truly is when it's like, man, this is not bacon. This is delicious. This is amazing, right? So, but still like a solid year behind, right? As it, because of the manufacturing issues, right? Now, in hindsight, do you see anything that you could have skipped or avoided to, to accelerate that process or that you know now that would never happen? Or was that just the nature of the fact that you chose a product that had to be sourced unusually and needed to be manufactured unusually that really you could have never escaped? Well, I think part of it was my own learning experience because I'd never been in food. So I, you know, in terms of how we position the product, I did a lot of research about food companies. And so, and, and understanding psychology, the next best thing for someone trying a food product, a food product you have to taste. It's not yeah. just, you're not just selling a supplement that has a value proposition. You're selling something that it's got to taste good for someone to stick with it. Yeah. And we knew that we're addressing a market that healthier snacks are usually crappier tasting, right? So we had to overcome certain stereotypes that people had. But I looked at the Folgers, the Pepsis, where they did Pepsi versus Coke and people tried it and they reacted to it. And that compelled people who were watching that. And Folgers, we've taken our instant coffee and we've placed it in the fine dining and look, let's see yeah. what people say. And, oh, this is excellent. Yeah. And so I looked at that and then that became our marketing strategy, reaction videos, but not just reaction videos, reaction videos of what we call holy shit moments. Like, holy shit, it tastes just like bacon because those are authentic and compelling. And someone that sees that is going to be drawn in and say, and, the, and if they see enough of that, they're going to be I want to try that, right? So that that was the nature of the of the way we positioned it, and that product really hit. We got national distribution pretty quickly, um, but then we hit challenges, and we hit challenges with a co-packer that didn't follow that process, and we got a product that wasn't up to standard, and so we had to we ended up having to pull it. But but think about that. I don't think even anybody that's like going to go and start a company would ever even contemplate the idea that you would have a manufacturer launch, be finding success. And then all of a sudden your co-packer, which you're essentially relying on as your cornerstone of your supply chain now fails you. Like, and your, your entire business is, is in jeopardy because of this person that really, hey, it sucks that we messed up for you, but we got, you know, 30 other lines to get going here for these other giant companies. It, it's this unusual position of, of your destiny being controlled by something that's completely out of your control. And ultimately all you can do is get mad, get angry and try to force them into rectifying and helping your situation, but it's still on them to do that. Right. And so in that process, through that chaos, because that wasn't just, Hey, it, I kind of got out here and it went down. This is this ongoing, knowing, evolving struggle was that the point where you were beginning to think of like, I need to start exploring some other options besides doing just the chip? When, yeah. when did that thought start to occur? So, I mean, we were always forward thinking about where we start and what the 
subsequent products are going to be. So we were thinking about, especially where we're creating a brand pig out, what are the things that can be under there? So a pork rind, bacon bits, bacon cheese, all those types of things, right? So we, we were already thinking about the idea, but when we had the challenges and you asked me like, what if, if would I go back and change anything? I think all of that process, even though we were a year behind, even though we had all kinds of challenges, we lost a lot of money, all of those experiences helped us refine what our R&D was going to look like, where we were going to innovate. Instead of innovating with unique ingredients or a unique process, we decided, okay, we're going to focus the innovation on leading with taste and nutrition as the the hallmarks of what we're innovating, uh, but not using ingredients that we have to, you know, call up a farmer, you know, somewhere across the world to, you know, see if they could grow us something or anything like that. So, you know, it it was a valuable lesson. It was an expensive lesson, but also I think had we not had those lessons and those challenges, we would have had a completely different path and different products that we wouldn't have ended up where we are now. And let me say this too, for me, it added another dimension of how I look at a product and a supply chain and how it's connected. Like it, where before I never, I just looked at it. You got the co man, you're good to go. Right. Like it now opened up even my way of thinking as I look at everything else that we do is like looking a couple layers deeper on sort of the challenges and what you could potentially be facing. Like right when you start as another great lesson for me on the outside, you know, in when did you finally decide, hey, we got to go for this pork rind. We got to develop it and go and yeah. do it right now. Because it was an accelerated process. Yes. I feel like it was like, hey, we're having some challenges. Try this. And it was like, oh, what? This is a wall. It was like, it felt like it just moved to get there. Like, when did you finally say, hey, we got to we gotta hunt this thing down and know that this is the idea and then execute all that? Walk me through that. Yeah. So when we had the challenges with the co-packer and it wasn't going to work with them anymore, they didn't accept responsibility. They blamed all types of things except themselves. So if we would have changed that product to a different co-packer, it would have taken us an extended period to get that product back in market. We would have lost shelf space. We would have wasted a lot of time and money building up new procedures and process. And so during that time, I got that lesson. Like, we don't want to innovate with all these crazy things. We didn't, you know, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods have done an awesome job of taking their innovation and hitting the mass market with it. But they all, they both had to raise hundreds of millions to stay in business and generate hundreds of millions to become profitable. And so while that worked for them and more power to them, we didn't want to go down that path. We wanted to have a sustainable business that we can grow and grow rapidly, but not have the need for multiple years or hundreds of millions of capital requirements. So that that was all a process that we went through during that period. And then also during that period, it was a process of, okay, what's next? We had this pigless pork rind that was an idea. And from my perspective that we have investors, we have we have retailers that we're dealing with. We have customers that we've we've built relationships with. They like our product. They like our brand. They like our ethos. They're connected to us. So we want to serve them and we want to fulfill that promise to them, to our investors, to ourselves. And to do that, you need speed and you need speed and you need the ability to enroll other people to act with that speed. And so came up with the idea 
And we had to find another co-packer and we had to create this product and get it launched as quickly as possible so that while we're losing momentum over here, we're building it over here, right? Yeah. Because a lot of companies, the, the fatal blow is they get too hung up on the problem and the problem overwhelms them where they die. Hey, and look, it's called the valley of death for a reason. You know, and to me, you walked to the edge. Because the truth is, I, as I said earlier, like I would have, in, in my spirit would have been like, no, nah, the pigless bacon, this is the innovation. This is the way to go. Like you're going to win with this. This is the one of one. I just don't know. Like it, it was a scary proposition as it related. Cause, cause keep in mind this too. There was also a, a converting an audience like into a new product, right? Because there was a bit of education that came along because it wasn't like you were you were innovating a, a pre-existing chip. You were basically introducing an, an entirely new form of snack food that required education for the consumer base altogether versus the purity, the purity of, hey, it's a pigless pork rind. Yes. Hey, if you ate, if you love pork rinds, then you're going to love this one that has no pig, right? That, that simplicity and purity that connected so perfectly with the pig out brand and the entire ethos of taste and, and everything that it needs is what was the, what I would say, especially when I tried it for the first time, it, all of these different layers, like, oh my God, this is so good. And then like seeing it connected on such a, a clear level you know, really was a pivotal shift that really took the business from like that seemingly a less experienced, less, you know, grit and determination, fortitude and persistence, as you would say, would have just ran that bacon chip straight into the ground, then tried to raise money, deeply diluted to try to start it over and relaunch it. We got the, we got the supply chain figured out now type of thing. Walk me through the decision-making process of like this do or die gap in time because you accelerated so quickly to getting that thing to market, almost an unprecedented time for how small of a company. Yes. Walk me through the timeline and how you did that. Yeah. From idea to in bag, ready to sell about four months. It's remarkable. And so I hit resistance initially and I hit resistance with our team. I hit resistance with... Uh, co-packers and I hit resistance with, you know, other related relationships. And so part of my role at that point was an enroller because while I didn't come from the food industry, which gave me some advantages of not seeing things through the lens that the food industry normally operates through, which is from an idea to a product in a bag usually takes a year, year and a half for some bigger companies, even longer. And Dave, my co-founder had experience in food industry. And so he had that lens of what is typical. Yeah. And so when I came to him and I said, well, here's the reasons why we're going to move with speed for all the things I just mentioned. And he said, well, no, that, that's impossible. It, it can't happen in that time frame." And I said, well, we're going to make it happen. And so that resistance though, from him initially actually when when he saw that things could move fast, he became part of the solution in, in thinking about ways to move faster. And then that also became part of the ethos of our company. So when he and our operations lead both, you know, initially had resistance, but then opened up to the possibilities and saw things in a different way, then that not only 
created that product super fast, but created the foundation of how we're going to move in R&D moving forward. And that if we didn't have that all that experience, we would be much slower in how we do products now. We're now looking at bringing out three or four new products every single year yeah. because of that problem that we solved and that we pivoted from. Yeah. But look, at the, at the end of the day, it was an extraordinary pivot in such a crucial time that that was the perfect pivot for the perfect brand at the perfect time that really changed everything. And now the the business has exploded and now is, is heading into a growth story and a growth trajectory that really we all believed would have happened two years earlier. You know what I mean? So uh, again, I, I'm just say that it's just one of the most remarkable things that I've been through in business that I've seen happen. And I just, you know, it's why I love being partners with you, love seeing it happen. You know, what it really did for me as it, how I look at the businesses as a whole, when we're developing them, I no longer look at a hero product and like, Hey, let's go to market with this hero product. And our entire strategy now, we, number one, what's the platform, right? Then understand like where the product line is going to grow and how it can be differentiated and be developed before you go to market with your first product. So with MindRight, you know, we have an uncorrelated drink mix that's like right behind and the salty snacks, just in case, since we're chasing down the bar market, right? In Luso Cloud, you know, we have $135, you know, really hunting the 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 cost of, of what Uggs would be. But boy, we got in the chamber. We have a, a less designed one that's 99 and then a full EVA one on deck that's like 65, hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, uh, mind right is good mood superfood for a healthy and happy mind. But what the product that ends up becoming the hero, like let the market dictate it, right? But don't get pinned to thinking you were going to win bars and you don't win bars, right? Like that is for me, you know, applying that now to every build, make sure it's a platform and make sure you bake in pre pivots, right? Like that's essentially like what we are doing now to ensure if we got to do a little moving and shaking, we don't got to do it the same way in the miraculous way that you had to do it where it was like now or never, this is what it is. It's not eight months from now. It's not 12 months from now. It is like three months from now. And then, you know, it's, it's goes back to that Elon Musk quote of like, if you give yourself 30 days to clean your house, it'll take you 30 days. If you give yourself three hours to clean your house, you'll get it done in three hours. You know, that's what I really wanted to cover and share that story. I think it's a remarkable business story. And and again, I'm extraordinarily proud to be a part of it and to be your partner. You know, I want to thank you for the continual evolution. And I look forward to the next time we talk, another great lesson that we have learned together that I can share with both listeners and other entrepreneurs on this show. So thank you. Thank you for coming out. Oh man, I am so happy to be here and have you as my partner because, you know, like when you're in the trenches and you're fighting all kinds of battles, like you said before, like micro challenges and, and all these things is that, you know, no matter how much experience you have, no matter the fact that you've been through those kind of battles before and figure them out, it's always helpful to have people that support you, that are there for you, that understand what you're going through and that can help you navigate those which you have and uh i appreciate you and and your partnership and uh we there's no question 
that if I would have taken that half a million investor and, and not met you when Lewis in, introduced us, that the company would look and operate and be at a different stage than where we are now. You embody outstanding. Listen to me. I appreciate that. That's what we're going to do. When, when, when there's finally that, that golden liquidity event one day, we're driving to the desert and we're going to buy those giant citrine stones, okay? <laughs> 30 Gs. Um, yeah, 30, 30 Gs, Gs a piece. We're going to go get the biggest citrine rocks in Southern California. I, I, it bet, you know, we'll, we'll still have that liquidity event with a bottle of wine, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll blow 30 Gs each on, on a block of- Given. On Given. a block of something from Mother Earth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Billy G, you're the man. You're the man. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer dyer and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the Deerdick Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. You got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build With Rob.